Let's pray. Lord, you have been preparing our hearts for this all morning, and so we praise you. We know, Father, that your word is true, and your word gives life. And Lord, I suspect that there are some of the walking dead listening to my voice. They think they're alive, and yet they don't know the one who is life. Would you reveal that to them today? Break their hearts and help them to see the kindness of the Lord as it leads them to repentance. And Father, we pray that you would do the same in our lives, perhaps not in a salvific way, if we already know you, but just a reminder of how good you are, how gracious you are, how committed you are to our good. It's impossible for us to fully grasp it. Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And Father, we, uh, we know that we're unworthy of it. Thank you for being our shepherd. Help us to understand a little more what that means this morning. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, over the past few weeks, we've been learning about the suffering in the Christian life. Uh, we talked about the fact that Christians are not exempt from really any form of suffering, but that, that, that the Lord sovereignly rules over and carefully measures out for us the suffering that we receive and experience, knowing that he will never give us more than what we are able. And you may say, well, I've experienced things that were more than I could handle. And I would say to you, I get that. I, I get the fact that it felt like more than you could handle. And, and it may very well be that you sinned in, re, in response to that. But the promise of God is that he is faithful and will not allow you to be, able, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able in terms of your trust in the Lord. Not lack of pain, not necessarily healing, although that may come, but rather that you are able to stand firm in the midst of your trial, delight in the Lord, at least trust in the Lord, and glorify him thereby. And so we learned over the past week, last week, about God's presence in suffering, his providence in suffering, his provision in suffering. And in the message for this morning, I want us to focus on not so much on the things that he gives, although we'll talk about that, and much of this psalm is about that, but the focus is not so much on the giving as it is on the giver, namely the shepherd of your soul. I want to talk to you about the shepherd of your soul. And so if you have your Bible with you, I hope that you will uh, stand with me and open your Bible to Psalm 23. Um, one of the frustrating things about having so many um, translations of the Bible is there's, some, there's great texts that everybody knows. I mean, if you're a Christian. Uh, John 3.16. Uh, we could all quote that, and we would almost quote it word for word together, even though... We have different uh, translations, and that's not, that's not the case with most verses or passages of Scripture. But I was blessed this week, as I was preparing for this, just last night, uh, copying this passage into my text so that I could read it clearly. And as I read it through, it sounded exactly, almost exactly, with a, with a few tweaks to modernize so that it's not... Thou dust, or King Jamesian kind of language. But we could probably all quote this psalm, if you know it, and be almost exactly the same all the way across this room. So why don't we try that? I'm going to read it to make sure that we get it right. But if you'll join me, let's, let's just read this text or quote it. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. I don't know what it was like in your house growing up, but I know what it was like in mine, at least in the early years. I remember so many times going over my grandparents' house, which was only four or five blocks away, and we would gather around the table and hold hands, and we would recite Psalm 23. And I didn't understand it. And some of the words were archaic and, and meaningless to me. Didn't matter. My my grandfather and my parents drilled this passage into me. This psalm has always been a part of our lives, from the beginning. And if it's not familiar to you today, I pray that it will become precious to you by the end of this hour. One of the most practical truths we learn in the Bible is that God's people are never alone. Therefore, we are never without necessary provision. And when David says, where can I flee from your presence? You know, in my heart, I think, why would I want to flee from his presence? Except for when we sin. God is with us, and he is for us. And one of the most endearing ways that scripture speaks of this relationship is by the metaphor of shepherd and sheep. And I, I hope that you've already heard that in the reading of the scripture, in the singing of scripture, in reading of the scriptures again, and now expositing this scripture. This is all over the place in the Bible. It's everywhere in the Bible. And there are four things that I really want to cover this morning relative to our relationship between sheep and shepherd specifically about the shepherd, and, and here they are. Uh, the shepherd's identity is number one. Number two is the shepherd's provision. Number three, the shepherd's protection. And for lack of a better term, and I racked my brain on this and couldn't improve it, but the shepherd's palace, and you, you may be surprised to, to learn about that. So let's talk about the first thing here. The shepherd's identity. This is the most important part. If we, have to, if we have to close and walk out at some point in this message, I hope it's after this. I want you to notice with me that, um, that David immediately tells us who this shepherd is. He doesn't leave us hanging as if this were just a metaphor and we have to fill in the gaps. He tells us who our shepherd is. The Lord is our shepherd. Or as you've heard a couple of times already this morning, Yahweh is our shepherd. He's your shepherd. It is the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, when I was studying this, uh, it, it occurred to me, I wonder why he says Yahweh is my shepherd. I mean, there are other names for God, and, and God never does Anything without purpose. The Holy Spirit doesn't do anything without purpose, right, Craig Preston? We've talked about the Holy Spirit this morning. Why not Elohim? Why not Adonai? Why not El Shaddai? Well, there's probably some good reasons for that. I think the best reason for that is that Yahweh is God's personal name. It is the name that he gave to his people. It is the name, listen carefully, of the covenant-keeping God, which assumes that he makes promises. He enters into covenant, and he always keeps 
his covenant with his people. This is his personal name. And so it makes perfect sense that David would begin in this way. Because as the covenant-keeping God, he always keeps his promises. Witness Joshua 21, 45, where after the children of Israel had wandered for 40 years because of their unfaithfulness to the Lord, they finally come back around and are ready to enter into the promised land. And the Lord had made them promises for how he would relate to them in those 40 years. And this is what he says in Joshua 1. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Or Isaiah 46, 11, the Lord says, Truly I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. And surely... In other words, you can be sure that I will do it. I mean, nobody else can say that. I can't say that. I can say, honey, I, I plan on being home at about 1 o'clock this afternoon. Well, that's great, but I can't say, surely I will do that. I don't know what the Lord has planned. And notice the personal pronoun here, David uses, so God is using his personal name, and David speaks of him in very personal ways. Watch this. David uses Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, and he then says this. The Lord is not just a shepherd, not just the shepherd. That would have been wonderful. That's not what he says. Beloved, every word here is important. The Lord is, what's the next word? My shepherd. My shepherd. It is my, he is my personal shepherd. And he is your shepherd, if you're willing to follow him. In John 10, which I read portions of a moment ago, when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he speaks in terms of an intimate relationship with his sheep. He calls us my sheep. David calls him my shepherd. You see the relationship? It goes both ways. He is the shepherd who personally chooses his sheep, John 10 and calls them to himself by name. Likewise, the sheep love and trust their shepherd imperfectly, yes. We love and trust our shepherd. The sheep hear his voice, and they follow him. And he gives them everlasting life. This is a very personal relationship. It isn't just about the shepherd, it is my shepherd. And you can pray that today. And you already did, if you were singing from the heart a moment ago. The term shepherd here is, um, is by virtue of his calling, a provider and protector. That's, that's what it means to be a shepherd. Uh, last time I was at, in Israel, we were driving down the road, and I'll never forget it. It was the first time, I, and maybe the only time, I suppose, that I actually saw in Israel a shepherd and his sheep. And you know where he was? He was out in the middle of nowhere. There isn't anything else to do but shepherd the sheep. What else? I mean, he's not watching TV. He doesn't, I mean... Well, it maybe he was in his phone or something, but. <laughs> but there they are, out in the pasture. And what, is a, what does a shepherd do? Well, the shepherd has a few responsibilities, but every one of them are crucial. They're all crucial. Back when we were in chapter 10 of John several years ago, I made a big deal out of the fact that shepherd connotes the idea of Lord and master. 
He's our leader. And the reality is, everyone has a Lord. You have a Lord. You follow someone or something. Everyone has a master, even if that master is your own heart, which the scriptures say repeatedly is the most foolish thing that you can do. No one is truly autonomous. We are all ruled by something or someone. Some are ruled for, by, by money or fame or power or pleasure or peace. And all of these things are good things, but they all make terrible gods. They all make terrible shepherds. They all make terrible masters. None are worthy to be called your shepherd. If you're letting one of these false shepherds lead you, you're in serious trouble. And, and that may very well be why you're at church today. Maybe that's why you're among God's people today, is because you've been following another shepherd and it's ruining you. Because all of those shepherds are liars. Idols always lie about what they can provide, and then they never provide. And that's their strategy for enslaving us. Give us enough to keep us hooked and never let us go. Money, authority, pleasure, peace, all good things, but they make lousy shepherds. And when you find yourself facing a time of trouble, they are exposed for the frauds that they are. They're false shepherds. And they've always been false shepherds. But the Lord, Yahweh, is your shepherd. If you will have him. The Lord, however, is the perfect shepherd. He is worthy to be trusted and followed. As your shepherd, he would always provide for you exactly what you need in that moment if you trust him. In fact, that's, that's really the next point. We, we've learned about the shepherd's identity. And now let's consider the shepherd's provision, which you know is going to be fantastic because now we know who this shepherd is, the maker of heaven and earth. He not only created the sheep, he created the pasture and the water and the food. And so let's talk about the shepherd's provision. This is verses 1 through 3. We'll just take this phrase by phrase. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, I remember, like it was yesterday, when we would quote this around the table with my grandparents, and I never got that. And, and some of you don't right now. Because this is, a, this is a word that we don't typically use. Um, if you get hungry at the end of this service, children, you may look at your parents and say, I want. And they're going to say, you want what? <laughs> no, 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 no. The first usage is right. The word want, as it was translated in the King James and, and is here in the ESV, means to lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. It doesn't mean to desire. It doesn't mean that your desires go away. It means you will not lack for anything. The implication is that as long as I am following the Lord, our shepherd, I will never lack what I need. Notice David illustrates this in picturing himself as a sheep. He writes, and, and by the way, we know something about David, right? When he was young, what was his occupation? He was a shepherd. And now he, he as he's, he's king, when he's probably when he's writing this, reflecting back on those days, but now he's viewing himself not as a shepherd, but as a sheep. And too often we want to shepherd God. We want to counsel him and tell him how things should be. Because we get weary 
and, and it hurts, and fill in the blank. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he continues with this theme by telling us why we don't want, why we don't lack anything. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. In other words, I will not hunger. I'm a sheep whose shepherd is devoted to taking me places where I will be fed well. Uh, what a... Our Russian brothers, when I, I asked him one day, uh, he had three village churches, and I said, uh, how is, you know, in America, we say, well, how's your, how's your church doing? Pastors say, how, how do you, how's your church doing? And, and the, the other pastor will respond by how many people are showing up on Sunday, right? In, in that culture, if you ask, as I did, and was a little embarrassed, and said, um, tell me about your churches, how are they? And they say, the sheep are fed and healthy without any consideration of how many are there. Matthew 4, 4, he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is how Jesus responded to temptation from the devil himself. He quoted scripture. The devil had just tempted him to turn these stones into bread, and he said, Look, I, don't, I don't need bread. I need God's word. You say, well, how, how is that not a non sequitur? Well, it's, it, it works because what Jesus is saying is, the most important thing that I need is the counsel of the Lord. And right now, the counsel of the Lord is, don't turn those stones into bread be a really bad idea. The word of the Lord is our food. We thrive on it. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not, what's the word? Hunger. He will not hunger. This is, this is about spiritual hunger. This, isn't, this is about if you are a follower of Jesus, there will never be a famine for the word of God. He will always give it to you. John 6, 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. And Jesus speaks about our soul's hunger. What does your, your soul long for? It's amazing. Just this morning... So I was uh, driving in to the church early to meet with the elders for prayer. And, um, and I was tempted to, to flip on some Christian music. And I thought, no, I'm just going to drive and talk to the Lord. And uh, I was having a hard time doing that. So when I got to a stop sign, I whipped out my phone. And I picked up a, a scripture, just a short scripture that I've been trying to memorize. And I read it twice. And it was like food for my soul. And it wasn't new. I knew this verse. I, I'd been working on it. And yet just a little of it is enough to feed your hunger, your hungry soul. What does the soul long for? Does your soul long for God? Are you trying to satisfy your soul with things that cannot satisfy Jeremiah 2, 13, the prophet Jeremiah says, he calls all the cosmos to come and look at a terrible sin that Israel had committed. It's the only time in scripture that I know that anyone, any of the prophets or any of the key people in the Bible call the entire cosmos to come and look at something terrible. And he says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living water, and have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can contain no water. The fundamental problem with mankind is that we tend towards seeking satisfaction in our deepest desires, 
satisfying the deepest desires in something other than the fountain of living water. It might be food or sports. This is a good day to remind us of that, right? Although I did take notice that uh, E4M accommodated a little bit so you guys wouldn't miss the game. The fundamental problem with mankind is that we tend towards seeking satisfaction of our own deepest desires in something other than God. It might be food or sports or sex or accomplishment. But they're all empty spiritual carbohydrates, as it were, and will do you no good. It can never satisfy. But your shepherd is committed to feeding you what you really need and what really satisfies. And you might ask, well, what is that? Well, it's the word of God. And isn't that why you come here week after week? I mean, we have 10,000 messages hitting us every day, and that's no exaggeration. But once a week, we gather and we hear the word of the Lord. And it should be food for our souls. And, And if you don't feel like it's food for your soul and you know the Lord, you should cultivate that hunger by maybe setting aside some of the other things. It's the word of God. The word of God is the revelation of God's person, his promises, his power toward us who believe. What does God promise? Well, what do you need? And and I'm not saying what do you want. What do you need? What do you need to be faithful to him in the next moment? What do you need to be faithful to him when you're having an argument with your spouse? Or there's rebellion in the home? Or there's a problem at work or a financial crisis? What do you need? Do you need purpose? Do you need peace? Do you need comfort? Sometimes we do. Do we need refuge? Do we need strength? Do we need wisdom? Do we need help? If you are one of God's sheep, all of his promises to you are yes and amen. They are yours in abundance when you follow the good shepherd. Because the Lord is your shepherd, you will never lack. He makes you lie down in green pastures, right where sheep want to be. But he continues here with the same train of thought. Secondly, he leads me beside quiet waters. We don't need... We don't only need green pasture. We don't only need food. We need water. He leads me beside still waters. What's he saying? David's saying, because my shepherd is Yahweh, the promise-keeping, covenant-making God, and because he promised to take care of my needs, he will give me green pastures. He will feed me by his spirit, in the word, and he will quench my thirst. Sheep need a safe place to drink. John 4, 14, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst. Do you remember who he said that to? The woman at the well. Talk about broken cisterns. She was on her fifth man, and, and he was not her husband. She was being shepherded by her desires. And it was killing her. Jesus goes on, Indeed, the water that I will give will come to him as a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 7, 37 and 38. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me for drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Psalm 36, 7 and 8. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house. And you give them to drink from the, what's the next word? 
the river of your delights. He's not scooping out of the bottom of your sink. He's feeding you from the abundance, the rivers of your delights. God's delights. You will never hunger. You will never thirst when you are following the good shepherd. I understand that some of you are are really struggling with the path that you're on right now. It is the path that the, that the Lord has sovereignly orchestrated. And there you are, struggling, hurting, maybe bewildered, frustrated. I'm here to tell you, beloved, and this is a, a primary message from this message and from this sermon. If you are following the Good Shepherd, then you are in his place, moving at his pace. And he is to be trusted. You will never hunger. You'll never thirst. You'll never lack what you need. Your soul can never hunger or thirst in a manner that your shepherd cannot satisfy. Have you ever known someone, and maybe all of us have, most of us have, who's really, really suffering? And yet they seem like the most joyful person you ever met. This is why. This is why. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and drink and keep tasting and drinking. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. We love this one, right? He restores my soul. Restores here means to strengthen. And there are some days in the midst of suffering that God has ordained and carefully measured for you. You don't feel like you can handle it. But you know what? If you ask for it, he will restore your soul. He will strengthen you so that you can respond to this trial, not only with holiness, but with joy. It's important to note here that David uses the same word when he writes Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is about the glory of God's word, his written word. He begins the psalm talking about um, natural revelation, which is the stars and the creation that, that all scream to humanity that there is a God and you are accountable to him. And then in verse 7, he switches over to the written revelation of God, God's revealing of himself in a book. And here's one of the first things he says. The law of the Lord is perfect, and listen to this phrase, restoring the soul. It's exactly what David's saying. David apparently had experienced this because it keeps showing up in his writing. How many times was his soul restored when he turned to the word of the Lord and turned his face of trust toward him? The word soul here is nefesh. It can be translated a number of different ways in English. It can be life. It can be person. It can be self. It can be your heart. It speaks to the inner person, the you that you really are on the inside, the spirit, the soul. The psalmist is saying, the word of God has the power to convert, to revive, to refresh your soul. Does your soul need refreshing? Maybe two things you need to do. Number one is stop doing the things. Maybe push them aside for a little while. Push other things aside for a while. And just get on your face before Jesus. Read his word, devour, feast upon his word. Drink from the river of his delight. When internalized, when God's word is internalized, meditate upon and obey it. It has the power to banish anxiety, destroy depression, put fear to flight 
to replace inner toil, turmoil with peace and joy that comes from faith? You see, you probably don't need Prozac, but you do need the power of Christ. You need the shepherd of your soul. He is completely dependable, completely satisfying. He will restore your soul. He who rules the world and everything in it, who loves you enough to give you everything you need, everything you need for life and godliness. The good shepherd is the only one who has the power to restore your soul. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. If you're struggling today, and maybe part of your struggle is the burden of sin, here's what Jesus says to you. No rebuke, just this. Come to me, all of you who are burdened with a heavy load, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke and turn to me, for I am meek and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now this next phrase is the one that I always think of when I think of the 23rd Psalm. And here's what he says. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. So, I'll give you a couple of stories and and all of you people who have been around here have heard these too many times, maybe. But uh, I'll tell you two. Uh, one time I was sitting in my office, and um, I was working, presumably, and my secretary beat me on the phone, and she said, uh, Pastor Dan, um, the fire department's on, on the line, and something about your wife. That was disconcerting. Uh, she had been in a, a, a terrible car accident. Um, she had children in the car. The car completely rolled. Uh, the hatch on the back ripped off. It landed right side up. Um, it was a full turnover. And he said, uh, if, you, if you want to see her before the hospital, you've got to get here quick. And um, I didn't realize my car could drive that fast. I never drove that fast before or since. Uh, but got there in time and, and realized that uh, she was going to be okay. But what do you do in those moments? Where does your heart go? Part of the message here is it's not going to happen naturally. What's going to naturally happen is panic. But if the Lord is your shepherd, you will not want for what you need. You will not thirst for what is not available to you. You will have everything you need, and here's the thing that you can know. Well, I'll tell you about that in just a second. Let me just tell you another one. One uh, Saturday, um, when my mom and dad were here, when they uh, lived a few streets away, my kids were playing over at the house, and uh, later that day they came home and my mom called, and uh, she said, hey, probably nothing to worry about, but we're seeing some symptoms that were very similar to your brother, my brother, uh, when he was young. Um, and, uh, you know, he had diabetes, type, type 1 diabetes. And I thought, no, no. I grew up watching my brother suffer with diabetes. I thought we were done. And so, sure enough, Chris, that Sunday morning, we're thinking, it's impossible, there's no way he has juvenile diabetes. And she went over to Cook's, and Cook's, the uh, doctor, did some basic tests and said, uh, way to go, Mom, you caught this early. And then it began. And uh, the struggle that boy goes through is daily, even to this day and will be for the rest of his life. What do you do when you get that news? Or maybe it's cancer. Or maybe it's something else. What do you do? Where do you turn? To what will you cling? 
Who will you invite to shepherd your soul in that moment? Let me give you a good reason why the Lord should be your shepherd in that moment. So David says this. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. In one of the earlier struggles my wife and I had uh, with one of our children, and uh, we were in seminary and thought our, our number two son was going to die as a baby, and uh, we're in the hospital all the time, and I'm trying to finish my last seminary class, which was impossible. And, um, and I started studying this passage. And as a seminary student, I had tools available, started looking up words, and I, I realized that there is some debate over what, what it means, the paths of righteousness. And one day, as I was studying it out, I realized it's really a simple statement. What he means, I think, is if you were following the good shepherds, shepherd, you are on the right path. He leads me down the right path. And so no matter what it is, you're on the right path. You are in God's place. You are moving at God's pace. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He will feed you the green pastures. He will cause you to drink from the rivers of his delights. Whatever path you're on, if you are following the good shepherd, it's the right path. I've probably said that to counselees and people I've discipled a thousand times over the years. I've said it to my soul at least that many times. If you can remember it and bring it to bear on your heart, I tell you, it will do wonders for your soul. He will restore your soul. As he guides you in the paths of righteousness, John 8, 12 Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The good shepherd is not only sovereign, he's also omniscient. He knows everything. He knows where where he's leading you. He knows where we're going. And everywhere he leads, no matter what the experience of his leading, it's always the right path. And this lines up perfectly because look at the next phrase. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, guess what? It's the right path. It's the right path. You want peace? You want your heart? Be soothed in the midst of your suffering. Let me give you some advice. Stop listening to your heart. Listen to the word of the Lord. I want you to note with me that the next thing he says, he, here's, here's the good shepherd, not only promising these things, but putting his name on the line. David says, for his name's sake. His reputation is the one that's on the line. He has declared that he would be the covenant-keeping God. For him to fail to keep his promise would be anathema. It would give every reason for the foes of Christ to balk and to mock the promises of God. Beloved, God will always be faithful. And so we've seen the shepherd's identity, his provision. Let's look now at the shepherd's protection. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that is, in the valley of dark shadows. Beloved, if if that hasn't happened to you yet, it will. Doesn't that encourage your heart? If it hasn't happened, it's going to. This is just life on planet Earth. The Christian life is not like building a home in a 
land with no storms. It's like building a home that can't be destroyed. David is saying, I know bad things are going to happen, and many worse things than anything we've experienced happened to David. I know things that are bad are going to happen, but I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And he is with you, not because he is the sheep following you, but that he's the shepherd and you're the sheep following him. In our world, it seems people are struggling with more and more inner man issues than ever before. And many, if not most, of those struggles trace their, their roots back to fear. Isaiah 41.10, one of many scriptures, says, Do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Who is with you? Your shepherd. I'm never going to leave you alone. Do not be anxious or look about. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 56 Three and four, our son Andrew had many hospital procedures, and sometimes when they were getting ready to take him off on the gurney, we'd say, son, what's your scripture? And he would say, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I will put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? He's about 30. He's close to 30 now. He had a procedure recently. And before they took him back, I thought, well, I'm going to ask him. He knew it. He's still clinging to it. First John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. In the midst of fearful circumstances, David says, verse 4, Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you read about David's life, you remember that instance where he tells Saul, he's trying to convince him that he's worthy to go out and uh, do battle with Goliath. And... Uh, um, Samuel, or Saul, Saul is, is beside himself, trying to talk the boy out of it. His suit of armor doesn't even fit. And he says, uh, David says to the king in 1 Samuel 17, he says, king, there was a day I was taking care of my sheep, and a bear came out, and I didn't run away. I attacked him and killed the bear. And another day, a lion came out and wanted to ravage my sheep. And I grabbed that lion by the beard and killed him. And by God's power, I will do the same to this uncircumcised Gentile. And so David is making this picture of, of who God is as a shepherd. He, he's not just a, a lonely traveler leading sheep around he is a man's man. The enemy's teeth may be sharp, but my shepherd carries a big stick. And what a comfort to have such a shepherd in the day of trouble. And so we've touched on the shepherd's identity and the shepherd's provision, shepherd's protection, and then the shepherd's palace. And um, let me just tell you what it says. You prepare a table before me. You prepare a table before me. That is a banquet in the presence of my enemies. And it seems to me, as I look at this passage, David's changing metaphors here. And I know, I know others have, have thought, and, and they could be right. Um, we are trying to interpret a metaphor here. But others have said, no, it's, it's really about sheep. I don't, I don't think... That the focus is on the sheep. The focus is on the shepherd. And so when David changes the metaphor here, he may be changing sheep to something else, but he hasn't changed at all 
about his focus on the king, the shepherd, the leader, the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And so he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It seems to me that he sees himself as a servant of a benevolent king, a gracious king, a king in whose presence there is no reason to fear, even when uh, one's enemies are sitting at the same table. They dare not do anything to you. Because this is, this king is my shepherd. This is the kind of shepherd. This is, this is a, a kind of shepherd lord, a shepherd king, Yahweh. He is our shepherd king. He, he loves us. We are his sheep. He protects us. His three responsibilities to feed the sheep, lead the sheep, and protect the sheep. And he does all three infallibly. He not only loves us, he delights in honoring us. You have anointed my head with oil. And again, some have said, this is a sheep, they anoint the head. Yeah, but I don't think it fits with the table and the cup motif. This is, this is David before the king, as a servant of the king, in the king's palace. And he's there, and his enemies are there as well, but he is secure. And not only is he secure, but he is honored by this king. What does it mean to anoint one's head with oil? And my cup overflows. Again, it seems like David is, is switching metaphors to focus on something else about this king. He sees himself in this king's palace. He's eating with the king. He's fellowshipping with the king. And so I think when David says, he anoints my head with oil, he's talking about being honored by the king. In ancient times, one of the one of the ways a king or a dignitary would be honored was for a key leader in the country or in the venue or at the house party or whatever. But the honored guest or the king who is about to be crowned or a prophet who is about to be prophetized? What, what, what do we call that? Made a prophet? A priest who becomes a priest? In each of those cases, they are anointed with a perfumed oil. This is the one you should be looking at. This is the person you should be impressed by. This is the person that I desire to bless. And so Samuel anointed, Samuel was anointed by Saul. Uh, we don't have a lot of time this morning, so uh, I'll just... You can go look that up on your own, but I will tell you about one New Testament example. I remember studying this out, trying to figure out how this relates to uh, what David's talking about here. And so I found in Luke 7, 44 through 46, and my premise here is that um, that tradition didn't change much over the years, from Old Testament anointing to New Testament so we have Simon, the Pharisee, invites Jesus, who had been doing miracles and teaching, and, and people were concerned about him and love him and hate him. And, and so Simon invites him over to the house for a dinner party. You remember what happened? A lady crashes the party. A lady that everyone knows is a sinner. She comes in. She's weeping. She's weeping over his feet. His feet are getting wet with her tears, and so she lets her hair down, and she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. And Simon is thinking, and the other Pharisees, if this man were a prophet, he would know that she is a woman of ill repute. And there's a lot of wonderful things that Jesus says here. But here's what I want you to see. This woman takes an alabaster bottle full of perfume, in addition to what she's already done, she breaks it over him. The Pharisees are incensed. And Jesus said, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. 
but she has wet my feet with her tears. By the way, making sure the feet were washed was the responsibility of the people who were calling the party. Somebody should be there to wash their feet. It was a tradition. And she has not stopped wiping, their, wiping them with her, hair, with, her, with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. In other words... She honored Jesus in an extravagant way. And it seems to me that this is, this is the tradition that was practiced back then in David's time. The honored guest was anointed with the perfume. And Jesus says, you didn't do any of that, but look at this woman. But here David is before this king, before the table, where he's safe in the presence of his enemies, And this king anoints his head with oil. My conclusion, you can disagree with me if you want to. I think David is saying, on top of everything else, he singles me out as his guest of honor. This is your God. This is your benevolent Savior. This is the shepherd of your soul. David, here is David before the king, his shepherd. The king comes and anoints his head. And everyone in the room knows what that means. And if he's not trying to honor him here, then look at the next phrase. My cup overflows. It's like the, the, uh, the king has given instructions to the servants Keep it full. Keep it full. You remember in Egypt when David's brothers came and there was young Benjamin and Joseph gave orders for the servants to come, make sure everybody gets fed. But when you come to Benjamin, he gets five times more than everyone else. I mean, can you imagine the plate that he had? <laughs> what was he doing? He's honoring my cup runs over. John 7, 38, He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his inmost being will flow rivers of living water. Psalm 36, 8, He gives us to drink of the river of his delights. Surely, he says at the end, goodness and mercy, or some translations call it, Goodness and love, God's goodness and God's love. That's what David's trying to picture. The sheep, the sheep are just the props. He wants us to know things about the shepherd. Surely goodness and love shall follow me all the days of my life. I, I think it's better understood here. Surely goodness and love will pursue me. All the days of my life, the Spirit of God will keep pursuing you and pursuing you to bless you for your good. Surely goodness and love shall pursue me all the days of my life. By the way, those are fruits of the Spirit. And I will dwell in the house, the palace of my King. I mean, what a life. What a life. And he only mentions the afterlife here at the end. Everything else is now. If you will receive it, if you'll stop following your heart and stop following the counsel of the Lord. One of the most important scriptures in the Christian life is this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says... Thank you, Joe. Trust in the Lord. I had a brain fog right there for a second. <laughs> Yours is working, Joe. <laughs> Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. 
It's our big problem. We're always leaning on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. You see, beloved, if you're following the Good Shepherd, your eternity is secure, and life in this world is full of grace upon grace upon grace upon grace, even in your trial, even in your suffering, even after the bad news. Grace upon grace upon grace. This is your shepherd. This is your God. Love him. Trust him. Follow him. Delight in him. He is yours. Father, it's, it's almost too much to believe and receive all that you have to offer us, and yet we are so stingy with ourselves. We are so quick to try to satisfy ourselves on every other thing. Oh, Father, grant us repentance unto the joy of our Savior. Thank you for being the shepherd, the gracious, gracious shepherd of our soul. And we give you thanks and we'll praise your name forever in the name of our Savior.